Friends, we've been here for a long time now, Pastor Stephanie and I, and um, I was thinking between the two of us, yeah, <laughs> I figured today I could get away with telling a little bit about us, but <laughs> between the two of us, I think we've preached approximately like 875 Sunday morning sermons, so I don't know if that says something about us or about you all that you've endured that from us, but. And I think we've done over 10,000 home and hospital visits. There's probably a few other career stats on the back of our baseball card of these now veteran players. But I hope there's a line too that says what we've received from all of you, which is minimally 20 million blessings. We're grateful for every moment together that we've had, that God has given us. I like to think that we're still young, but we are most definitely not as young as we were when we started this run. We just sent Cena off to college a couple months ago, which is amazing. But also amazing is the fact that we were only three years older than Cena when we got married 25 years ago, and eight years older than Cena when RCHP let us become the pastors of this congregation. Let me just say the search committee was awfully daring. Like I said, I didn't intend to talk a lot about us and me in this sermon today, despite the fact that today marks 20 years here. But the text from James really hit me on a personal level, and so I went that direction. And I hope in sharing a bit about myself and my tongue specifically, the text might connect with you in your personal life as well. For you, like me and Stephanie, move through life with changes in your level of authority. After that, I want to go beyond the personal, my personal and yours, and into a communal understanding of RCHP as teacher and the collective importance of our shared tongue. Because it is that collective tongue that I think might be the most important good news for us today. I have to admit, when we first got here 20 years ago, we found this job to be daunting. We were ordained as ministers of word and sacrament. I mean, that's a, the title and the uniform felt way too big. We were book smart after three years in seminary and four years of college, and we'd had some very interesting life experiences for the few days that we'd been alive. But the scope of our worldview was pretty limited, and to stand up every Sunday before a group of people two and three times our age and convey what God was saying to, to the world for this particular moment, that was for us extremely challenging. Did our tongues have authority? Could we preach? People were respectful and appreciative, but did we trust ourselves yet? Sunday afternoons were always such a relief. We'd made it through another Sunday without looking ridiculous. While the church, to its credit, more or less accepted our tongues from the pulpit and accepted our pastoral care and teaching, the stuff they knew we got a diploma for, I think it was the church communal life, the administration, the decision-making, where it was harder to believe we'd be heard, and that our ideas would be taken seriously. I mean, what do they know about running an organization, right? Fair question. I was very enthusiastic about dreams for a more just world shaped by the teachings of Jesus. I wanted to be heard and to lead on church community matters and larger community matters, but it was hard to know quite how to nudge my way to having the authority to shape anything. Sometimes people made it clear that they thought I was naive, and other times I could just sense it. 
I can remember times, especially early on, where I spoke really strongly about things, raising my voice to be heard, relentless in pushing for what I felt we were called to do, and still feeling like nobody heard a thing I said. My tongue had no authority, so I shouted all the louder. It's probably a good thing that there's a stage in life like that, right? We need to try out our tongues, our thoughts, our ideas. We need to have a platform for doing that while still rookie enough to be easily forgiven, our words forgotten, if they don't roll out just right, right or make much sense. So I really appreciate that this church let us do that here. But I do not remember exactly how long we'd been here when I realized our identity as a pastoral couple was changing. Was it five years in? Was it after some big accomplishment that no one thought we could pull off? Was it after we'd helped guide the church through some significant loss of a loved one or after the church had started growing? Maybe it was just the passage of time and the collective sharing in grief and joy of life all lived before God. I do not know how it happened. But I do remember one day, as I was trying to strongly push something dramatic and controversial in a meeting, trying to be heard, I suddenly realized that nobody was pushing back at all. I took my foot off the gas. I, I had come in as usual, assuming I needed to be forceful in order to be heard, but instead, I had been like that and no one else was weighing in now. I had, in effect, shut down the conversation by accident. I suddenly had authority and I hadn't been aware of it. The perception of me from those in community was changing. And I remember going home after that meeting and explaining the dynamic to Pastor Stephanie and asking, when did that happen? And she said, Seth, we're not 26 years old anymore. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was suddenly acutely aware of the fact that my tongue now had some level of power. And it frightened me. I realized that I needed to dramatically increase the care with which I used it. I haven't perfected it, but I think about it all the time. I love the letter of James. It's a letter for Christian community, early Christian community. And traditionally, this letter has been credited to James, the brother of Jesus Christ, leader of the church in Jerusalem, martyred before the year 66. And there are reasons why some scholars today question all of that. But to me, that's just beside the point. It doesn't matter. What matters is that James, or an early Christian leader, gives us a letter about some of the key, very practical postures and behaviors that need to be in a community that's going to reflect the way of Jesus Christ. James says, so faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Anybody surprised that I like this letter? Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God is this, to care for the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. The faith without works line comes up twice in those first two chapters. All of those affirmations come in the first two chapters and they're written to every believer equally. The kingdom of God is a place for doers of the word. Christ will be made manifest in our engagement. But chapter 3 takes a turn away from instruction for all Christians, it seems, and moves instead to some instruction specifically for teachers, or I would add, leaders whose voice, voices have authority. I really thought a lot about whether this was 
talking about teachers with 20 kids in a New Jersey classroom or if this was something different. I think it's, it's leaders whose voices have authority. James starts in strongly. Not many of you should become this, become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In other words, look, being called to teaching leadership is risky business. Be really cautious before you commit to being in that role. And if you do get into a role like that, a role of authority within the church, James says, watch your tongue, for your tongue is very powerful. I always assumed as a kid that that was about swearing, but it's not. Significant, isn't it? The first thing that James asks leaders to control for the sake of the kingdom is their own tongues. He's got great metaphors, I think, to describe the power of a leader's tongue. Even very large sailing ships that can't advance without a tremendous amount of wind to move the sails, they can turn on a dime due to a very small rudder. Teachers or leaders given authority with their tongues can have this kind of power to turn the direction of the proverbial ship. Or a horse, a very strong animal that can go where it wants, it is easily turned and guided by a tiny bit in its mouth. The tongue of a leader can guide and redirect like that. And while sailing ships and horses are rather pleasant metaphors, the next one isn't pleasant at all. The tongue is a spark, a small fire. The tongue is a spark that can burn things down, that can set on fire the cycle of nature. Finally, James says, all sorts of great beasts of the earth have been tamed, but nobody can tame the tongue. A restless evil full of deadly poison. It does not feel to me that James is actually trying to suggest here that being a teacher is impossible. You could read it that way. I think he's using superlatives just to get at how serious he is about this. What he's saying is that teachers and leaders shouldn't underestimate the strength and power of their tongue to guide things well or to set things on fire. Friends, I imagine each of you, like me, has seen changes over time in your authority as a teacher or leader in your own spheres of influence. We all have a tongue, a voice. And most of us, in some system or systems that we're part of, a family, a workplace, a group of friends, have some level of authority. Is there a place where your voice acts as a rudder? Do you recognize your power and do you adjust your words carefully so as to be an appropriate rudder for your sphere? You want to help guide the boat carefully and lovingly without tipping it over. And if there are multiple rudders in your system, because that's often the case, do you work with the other rudders to make sure that you're not fighting each other and fighting the wind? May James' word remind you of the power of your tongue, that you might use it for the good. And may James' word give you proper pause with your words, that you minimize the spark that might lead to fire. I could end there, friends, and it would be enough. Recognizing the power of your tongue and using it wisely, for the Bible tells you so. You could end there. But that's not the last place I felt the Spirit taking me this week with this passage. Instead, in the same way that I just vulnerably shared with you about the personal experience of coming to realize the growing authority of my voice within the church and learning to be careful with my tongue, I think our congregation itself has gained authority as a teacher-leader. And as such, understanding our collective power and being careful with our collective tongue is something for us to really think about.
And I'm not claiming that James had that in mind when he wrote his letter. It really appears he was writing to individuals about their tongues. But friends of God, two millennia have passed and the spirit has been moving. And I feel confident saying that RCHP has become a teacher, a leader, and James' word about the tongue can be words for us communally. First of all, we as an active congregation, praising and adoring God and then modeling a faith life that lives itself out in works, has gained a reputation in these days. And that reputation has increased our authority. We can and we are collectively a rudder. For what ship? Or ships? What ship are we guiding? Can we say that RCHP as a rudder sometimes is asked to steer part of the ship of this town? to ensure we're welcoming to people of all socioeconomic classes and to refugees? I think we can. Can we say RCHP has been a rudder in terms of steering the state of New Jersey toward a more just immigration policy and to more just prison reform as well? Amen. Can we say that RCHP has been steering the ship of the Reformed Church in America toward a more welcoming posture toward LGBTQ persons? Can we say that RCHP will, in the next weeks, probably, come to steer the overall community toward faithful engagement in long-term recovery for Hurricane Ida flood victims. Likely. We're not the only rudder for these matters, thanks be to God. God uses other authorities to steer things too. But friends of God, the church that you are part of is collectively seen as an authority on many things. Sometimes it takes us a while, and it should, in prayer and wise discussion to see what boats we should attach ourselves to as a rudder. Sometimes because we are confident and calm in, in the midst of storms, leaders of the various ships that I just mentioned approach us and ask us to share ourselves as rudder or part of the rudder that we might collaborate. As I see it, all these ships that I've named, and so many more, when guided by a rudder of responsible tongues and well-organized follow-through of our RCHP, have a better chance of sailing in a way consistent with the kingdom of God that Christ Jesus has invited us to help unveil. Schools, businesses, governmental entities, these are the ships that do the work. Playgroups, neighborhood groups, parks, they're the ships that do the work, but they need to be steered by our collective tongue. Secondly, there's another reason why I think we can legitimately, communally, be a, a rudder for the ships of life that, whether they know it or not, are carrying out the work of the kingdom of God. In James' word to us this morning, he was very concerned about the tongue of the teacher being particularly dangerous because with the tongue we bless the Lord and with it we curse those made in the likeness of God. And I want to suggest, friends, that while this fickleness might happen in our own individual lives, that sometimes we bless and praise God and then with the same tongue pour out disdain and a moment of anger, exhaustion, haste, or fear. That is less likely to happen when we are a teacher communally. I think individually it can happen. I'll admit it. Sometimes exhaustion just drives me to it. But communally, it doesn't happen as much. I would say here in this place, most of the time when we're together communally, it's for the purposes of blessing God through song and prayer and listening to God's word. And if we get off track, as we surely do, we have built in structures for accountability, forgiveness, and restarts. 
Our springs do not pour out both fresh and brackish water, even if our river does. Our fig trees yield figs, not grapes. Praising and cursing from the same tongue rarely happens here. I trust the authority of our collective tongue more than I trust my own tongue. I trust the authority of RCHP as teacher to be a tongue, a rudder, for any ship that God calls us to. This church is 131 years old. So over its history, it's had moments where it didn't feel like it had a collective tongue of authority. And other times, very much so. And I'm not talking about the last 20 years. 131 years of history, there are the ebbs and flows of moments of authority. I don't know that our CHP will always be in a teacher mode where our tongue has power to help steer ships. But it does now. It does right now. And I can say confidently during the past 20 years that the same trajectory that Stephanie and I experienced individually, where our tongues increased in authority, has been mirrored by this church as a whole. Not all of you should be teachers, says James, but oops, we are. So be it. All of us communally are a rudder and we attach ourselves to boats all the time. May it be that we take this role seriously as RCHP and learn more and more how to be the tongues that guide ships into safe harbor and our town into a more vibrant future and our state into a more just place for people of color and our nation into a nation that really ends endless wars and our world into a world that cares about the lilies of the field and the future of the planet, all in response to the one teacher whose tongue is always perfect and whose meal is perfect too, ready to empower you. Thanks be to God. Amen.